Welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor CIO. Now, it's become the holy grail of tech, improving the customer experience. In this episode, we hear from respected authorities at the coalface of this fast-growing area of tech, including the CIO, one of the world's biggest automotive brands, about how he's leading a team harnessing AI and other technologies to better understand customer wants and needs, and ultimately building better cars and driving experiences. Also, the CIO, one of the world's biggest travel insurers, shares with us how technology is being applied to give travellers better, more specific protection, and how the future of travel, whatever that's going to look like, will be shaped by digital. Joining us now on the CIO show from Accenture is Bronwyn van der Merwe, Managing Director of Accenture Interactive, and Amit Bansal, Managing Director Applied Intelligence. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Now, tell me... What do you think CIOs need to be looking at or thinking about in terms of building better customer experience these days? Well, obviously we have this incredible rate of change. Um, The pace of change will never be as slow as it is today. And we have incredible amounts of uh, technology available to CIOs um, and to everybody at increasingly reducing costs. We've got the digitization of absolutely everything And then we've also got um, rising customer expectations. Customers' expectations are being set by all of these digital native organisations and these amazing services. And so this combination of um, all of these different market forces is really driving a sort of new breed of customer experience and customer expectations. Sure. So I think that what customers are looking for is for an organisation to really know who they are Mm-hmm. to understand sort of what they're trying to do, where they are, their intent um, and their preferences so they don't have to repeat themselves or have a really disjointed experience where they go online and then they go and speak to somebody and, you know, there's no kind of connection between those two things. So really creating these great um, experiences that get better over time. So you are using data and analytics about that customer and are really intelligent and evolve so that you can make people's lives better, easier, more efficient take things off the thinking list. I mean, that is the type of experience that I think people expect nowadays as standard. Sure. And we, we were speaking earlier, Bronwyn, about this um, word, which I think is an awful expression, this expression design thinking. And you were saying, well, it should perhaps be design doing. doing. I think Absolutely. that's really interesting. Yeah, Yeah. so so my background is in, in design and, and innovation. I've been in design my whole life and um, I've always been a person who designs things. And really, if you think about all of this technology this, uh, that's becoming more available, all these different types of it, technology that people have to learn and interact with, really, design is the interface between human beings and technology. It actually unlocks the potential of technology because we as human beings, um, you know, although technology is changing really, really fast, we as human beings don't change um, overnight. You know, we don't grow new limbs or, you know, new... Um, new senses, we Mm -hmm. have to sort of work out how to understand all these new technologies, how to fit them into our lives, what are the ones that are actually going to deliver something beneficial, some real value, um, and how do I actually interact with all of these new technologies. And so design is the tool that really unlocks technology and makes it accessible for for people. So design thinking is a term that is being used a lot, and it's really about taking a human-centred approach to understanding the needs of of customers and then collaborating with lots of different people from across an ecosystem so that you understand all sort of sides of a problem and then taking a very agile and iterative approach Mm. to coming up with ideas, 
putting them in front of uh, customers and, and, and sort of testing them before you then put them out to market. But the, the difference between design thinking and design doing is design doing is the actual execution. Sure. And what we find in every client organisation that we work with is that there are no shortage of ideas. So everybody's using design thinking to come up with tons of ideas, doing all these great workshops and, you know, post-it notes and stickies and everything else like that. Mm. And you have this enormous amount of ideas, but the, the difficulty is in actually getting them to market in sure. executing them and to designing them, designing that user experience so it's really user-friendly, so it's really simple and obvious, so it's beautiful beautiful and aesthetically um, engaging that mm. delivers on the brand promise. This is the real challenge, and so that's where the design doing uh, comes in. And, I mean, you, you've been you're, – you're somebody who's tinkered around with AI a, a fair bit, I, I understand. Obviously, this is an important technology in this conversation. Yeah, look, AI is, uh, is critical to this conversation because um, if you're designing those amazing experiences, um, you need to be able to put some intelligence into that experience yep. because you can design a great experience, but if, if as a consumer I start engaging with your brand and you give me generic experience or you don't know anything about me when I've also been, been talking to you and been transacting with you for so long – it's really bad sure. experience. So AI becomes critical in giving that intelligence about the individual that you're engaging in that moment. Mm-hmm. It becomes really, really critical. Sure. And what, what have been your experiences in terms of how CIOs in Australia are grasping this concept? Is it something that you feel that they are across or is there a lot of learning still to, to be done? Yeah, what we're seeing is um, AI – is, is a hot topic, yep. right? It's, it's a hot topic for the boards. It's a hot topic for the C-suite. So the CIOs are learning fast, right? Because they're being asked that, you know, all our competition is doing something in AI. What are, what are we doing as an organization? Right? So I think CIOs are g- grasping that, uh, that knowledge of AI. Mm-hmm. I think what uh, most organizations are struggling with is how to scale AI. Sure. Right? Um, because uh, a lot of organizations fall in the trap of it's great tech, let's bang the tech in, mm-hmm. um, and it's a nice toy, as opposed to start thinking about, well, how do I actually use this to have business impact? Sure. Yeah, it is a shiny new toy, isn't it? I mean, in our, in our previous, um, it's actually the, the first podcast we did for the CIO show, we just spoke to a lot of um, experts on AI, and that um, one of the overriding themes that came out of it was this need to focus on iterative projects and building on what you have there's no real perfection and that's you alluded to that earlier Bronwyn. Yeah absolutely I think this is one of the things that we've noticed um, with COVID is we've seen a lot of organizations obviously having to shift everything to digital because that's basically how we're receiving basically every single service in our life through the you know the, the, the four walls of the screens that we are staring at for many many hours a day. Um, and so a lot of organisations that were um, s- sort of a little bit behind in terms of either their e-commerce capabilities or their you know, digital service delivery mm-hmm. capabilities had to move really quickly Indeed, to get everything yes. online. Yeah. And so what we've seen is, you know, some organisations, like some government organisations that we've been working with for years trying to get their services online, and it's, you know, within four years have made very small incremental changes, have suddenly, in a matter of weeks got things you know online but what we've seen is that they are taking a different approach so rather than this big bang milestone approach where they have a 
a, a project plan that's sort of two years long and they have, you know, these yep. big milestones where they've got to launch these things. Extends of millions of dollars and so forth. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're starting to take that agile approach that we've been banging the drum about for, for many, many years. But yep. it's, it's suddenly become very real. And mm. I think that recognition, that, that incremental iterative improvement and getting something out in much smaller, quicker sprints is actually what needs to be done because, yep. you know, you just need to get these services out there quickly. And whilst, um, you know, it is important to deliver a great experience, perfection is not important in order to launch something. You can take a, you can launch a minimum viable product yep. and then just keep evolving it and iterating it. Just to add to what Bronwyn was saying, um, from an AI perspective, because you now have a whole bunch of APIs available, mm-hmm. uh, cognitive APIs available, that iteration and that speed is possible. Right? You, don't, you don't have to spend six, seven months to lay the foundation because you can buy the APIs, configure them and get going really quickly. That, I and mean, that's been the big big difference. Big change. The shift that's helped uh, organisations move very quickly to adopting this technology during the pandemic. Sure. Are there any particular industry verticals that you think are doing this better than others? We, what we're seeing is uh, the, the banks and the telcos are quite advanced in this space. They've been adopting this tech for a while, so they've been in a better position mm-hmm. uh, in terms of taking it to the next level. Um, uh, what we're also seeing is retailers adapt very quickly uh, in this space, and as Bronwyn mentioned, uh, public sector is, is starting to catch up. Sure. Uh, what are you seeing specifically in the public sector? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of scrutiny of them over this COVID period. But. Uh, the, the few things that we're seeing is, is particularly when it comes to dealing with all the call volume that's coming in. Right. right? So uh, the call centres are inundated, um, and in some cases, you have to have those call centres, uh, folks working remotely. So what we're seeing is public sector particularly adapt very quickly to setting up the technology to have people work from home. Tech calls, um, shift to messaging is mm-hmm. also a big big thing that we are seeing. Whereas in the past, you had to have a phone number and call that phone number. People are getting more used to doing online chat. Sure. Uh, whether that chat is through a bot or mm. human, it doesn't matter. We're seeing that engagement take up in government. And I think it's actually quite often a much better experience. I mean, I had to deal with a company, um, a telco, the other day because my broadband wasn't working. And, you know, as you know, right now, if your broadband is not working... Oh, your broadband not working? I've never heard of this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your life stops. You cannot yeah. work. You cannot do anything. You know, we're all on video conferences all day long. And so it was, yeah. you know, a problem. But I was able to deal with it through their um, mobile app and through a messaging service. And I think it was a human being as opposed to a bot, but it was really quite painless. You couldn't tell the difference? Uh, well, that's no, that's I, pretty smart tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it was, it, was a, it was a much better experience than, than, than calling somebody up. Sure. And, you know, having to go through all of those kind of things. So I, I think it's this kind of investment in virtual agents um, and in messaging platforms and in the sort of intelligent customer care, you know, uh, is definitely a big theme that we're seeing. And I think it's a win-win for both customers and organisations because it's obviously cheaper to deliver Mm. because you can have multiple conversations happening asynchronously with lots of different customers as opposed to just the one. Yeah, right. Um, uh, And a lot of it can be automated. But it's also, I think, in a lot of instances, a better experience for customers. And do we think that COVID has accelerated this sort of thinking around customer experience and also to your earlier point, Bronwyn, about, you know, the need to just 
be pragmatic and get things done when they need to get done. It seems as though COVID has kind of given this whole space a bit of a nudge. Yeah, I absolutely do think, uh, you know, it's out of necessity. Yeah. You know, and we are seeing... Um, a lot of organisations struggling out there. You know, mm. you know, we're seeing you know terrible stories in the media every day of organisations, um, you know, going into administration and everything else like that. So it's it's a it's a really critical time of uh, you know survival or yeah. not. Yeah. And so I think a lot of organisations are really having to um, sort of lean into this and and um, do things that they've perhaps put off before. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it is an opportunity for organisations to, to be bold right now. But I think what we're also seeing, which organisations need to really take heed of, is incredible behaviour change. Sure. So, you know, this is a, a obviously once-in-a-lifetime experience for all of us of the most enormous global human behaviour change that we've seen yeah. ever. Yeah. You know, every aspect of our lives has changed. And there's a lot of things that we don't yet know um, what is here permanently in mm-hmm. this behaviour change versus what is uh, will sort of rebound back to previous times. So obviously, you know, everyone's at home and working from home, so there's that whole aspect of it. Yep. There's the move to um, it virtual everything, whether that's exercising, whether that's kind of, you know, uh, socialising, um, shopping, working, whatever it is, everything's happening through the screen now. Sure. Um, and then there's the sort of the shift in, in how we engage with, organizations like they seem to be sort of taking a much more authoritative kind of way of engaging with customers where they've had to sort of step in and put in place all sorts of regulations and measures in order to deal with COVID Mm. both governments and and organizations having to do this and so we're sort of we're we're being much more obedient as consumers and as individuals and citizens what a horrifying thought but I guess you're right yeah, it's, it's really we've got some amazing data that just shows this level of compliance right that we've sort of not ever really seen you know we've sort of it's this bucking of this trend towards the anti-establishment sort of thing uh-huh. so we've got all this amazing um uh behavior change and so i think what's important for organizations right now is that they need to actually listen they need to actually watch and observe see how people are hacking their lives in new ways and sort of try and use that to sort of spur their innovation yeah and then they need to sort of build the technology that's going to sort of deliver on that but i think you know, now more than any, we can't rely on um, our previous knowledge about how things were done and what customers did. Indeed. So we have to watch and, and learn yeah. all anew. Yeah, and, and probably just a couple of things to add to that, you know, that shift in that consumer behaviour of, because we are all dealing with the pandemic, they are more comfortable understanding that, you know what, I can't pick up the phone and talk to the organisation. I have to deal with doing a web chat or, or talking to a bot, so that we've become used to that and, as you said, more obedient. The other thing is, as you're starting to apply these uh, technologies, you need to start thinking about, you know, what we saw as uh, historical behaviour. That's completely changed in the last six months. Yeah. You can't use the traditional ways of doing analytics, which is let me go look at two years' worth of uh, trends and history um, and, and go, right, so I can predict that, you know, Bron is going to be doing X, Y, Z, so I'm going to make that offer to her. Yeah. Because in the last six months, her behavior has completely changed. Sure. Um, so you have to look at different things. You have to look at Bron's online behavior. You have to look at, you know, what is she searching for? What, is it, what are their actually activity that they're looking for? And what is the shift in the demand of mm. the needs, right? So uh, if I just go down that part, she's not going to the office, so it's not buying coffee in, in the CBD, but now it's buying coffee in the local uh, area, right? So how do you adapt? You know, it's a very sobering idea that, that we've all become more obedient. Look, guys, <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to welcoming you back on the show sometime soon. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you for having us. Now, Henry Ford famously said of the Model T, any customer can have a car painted any colour that he wants, so long as it's black. Now, Stephen Benici, you're the Chief Information Officer with Ford Motor Company International Markets. Things have changed quite considerably in terms of customer experience since then, right? Yes, they have, David, and, and thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, I just want to really start by giving you some um, broader perspective about, you know, to your point, what's really changed in the Ford organisation and how, you know, we continue to, to really look at, you know, the customer experience and, yeah. and look at how we improve that. Yeah. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the organisation and I can um, also cover off uh, what we're doing in IT, but, you know, from a, a company organisational perspective, We've been um, looking to really continue to improve our, our customer experience. And uh, really, if I look back even just to uh, more recently in 2016, we formed a partnership with a company called uh, IDEO yes. to really bring um, what we call human-centered design thinking into our entire vehicle design and engineering processes. And uh, since then, we've taken that further and We've also implemented what we call, um, again, human-centered design labs, which are about kind of bringing that methodology on a daily basis into all of our processes. And uh, we're seeing some of the benefits of that, especially with some of the more recent products we're launching, whether it's the Ford Bronco and the Marty in the US, or even more locally in Australia, we've launched uh, the Ranger Wildtrak X, the Mustang Aspect, and uh, and really those products are, again, focused on a lot of our customer wants. Um, but it's it's about more than that because from, from our perspective, there's a product focus, but it's also about changing the way we operate as a company. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've been doing things like changing even our quality metrics, how we measure quality. It's really you know focused away from you know not directly just our, our products, but also the broader customer experience. Yeah. And also back in 2018, uh, for the first time, we appointed our a global chief customer experience officer. So that's uh-huh. the first time we've had a dedicated role um, really just looking at um, at that customer experience you know, solely. Sure. Um, and if I kind of bring it down then to what we're doing in IT, uh, we've been going through our own transformation as well. And uh, whilst it's, it's not just about it, one of the, the big areas of focus for the transformation is around what we call customer centricity. So mm-hmm. even bringing that customer-centered um, thinking into our IT organization. Yeah. And so we, you know, what we've tried to do is you know, rethink and restructure our teams around software products and services, reducing layers within the organization, um, but also you know, working in more agile ways and bringing that human-centered design thinking into all of our um, software and, and hardware-based product, uh, projects as well. Sure. Uh, but really kind of shifting away from the project um, methodology as well or, or project thinking to be more sort of you know, focused on software products and services that have an ongoing life. Right. Um, really kind of trying to empower our teams a lot more and grow our internal competencies around user experience design. When you, when you say so, you've shifted away from projects, it, by that, do you mean moving away from this mindset of like, this is project X, this is when it starts, this is when it finishes, this is what it costs, this is what it's going to do to, to thinking more, um, more long-term, I suppose? Yeah, that's right. So it's not only the strategic thinking, but it's also the transition to, you know, away from fixed scope projects and more towards a portfolio of products that we can invest in over time. Right. And recognize that some of those, particularly those digital products, 
are going to have a, a, a much longer life. And it's not a start. It's not about kind of a start and an end, but it's about continuously investing into a lot of those products that really particularly complement our vehicles as well. Sure. But but for us, it's also so there, there's the investment into certain technologies and the things we want to do. Right. But it's also about a, a pretty big culture change for us as well. And we recognise that culture is a really important part of the way we operate and the way we get results. And so, you know, we've been driving what we call, um, you know, putting people first sure. as one of our culture principles. And it's it's really not just about listening to the wants and needs of, of our customers, but it's also about, you know, really getting people to feel more empathy and you know, being a lot more open to feedback so that we can really create the best experiences for our customers. And uh, And so it's about kind of looking at our broader ecosystem, which is what we kind of call you know, all the touch points around the Ford brand, sure. whether it's, you know, from a shopping experience or, you know, as you experience the product, um, how, do, how do we complement that with technology um, such as, you know, artificial intelligence, IoT and, and even big data. And for us, you know, IoT or, or connected vehicles um, is a really uh, big thing for us. We're, we've been looking at, you know, really connecting our, our range of products right around the world. Mm, well, vehicles um, are so a lot more can, connected now than they used to be, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a huge, yeah. amount, huge amount of data you're collecting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not only with our the products we're, we're selling to consumers, but it's also, you know, manufacturing plants and all around the company. But how do we leverage um, that connectivity and all the data that it generates as well? Mm. And a really good example of that is, you know, we launched uh, our Ford Pass mobile app experience earlier this year in July. Right. And what, is, what, what, is, what does, does it do? I'm oh, sorry, you're going to tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let, me, let me explain what it does. Yeah. So I get really excited about particularly you know products like that. <laughs> um, but it, it really creates another uh, touch point for our consumers as well. So right. when you think about you know the way in which you experience a product, traditionally you get into a vehicle and you drive your car. Uh, with Ford Pass, we're, we're kind of bringing that mobile app experience to the customers to really complement our vehicles and uh, really the first generation of that has really been about that. How do we deliver a mobile app experience that allows you to interact with your vehicle, you know, issue remote commands, um, get you know, key vital information about the, the vehicle? But we see that transitioning into you know, broader customer experiences with the vehicle mm. and other services that can improve your experience with the vehicle as well. So, and, and more personalization as well. How do we deliver a more personalized experience? So. There's some really, really cool things coming with that. And really what's kind of underpinning all of that is that, you know, for us, customer experience is not a, a, like a one-off project. It's not something that we're doing as a one-time effort. Yeah. But it's about sort of that culture change and getting everybody to really think about how do we create the best experiences, whether it's designing our vehicles, whether it's all the touch points or, you know, the new kind of digital offerings that we've got. Yep. so that we really make it the best experience for our customers. Because we know that you know, there's, there's so much complexity in, in sort of the, the whole process with um, ownership of a vehicle and purchasing a vehicle. You know, I think we've got a really good opportunity with technology to really streamline a lot of those processes and make it easier for our customers. Now, you, men- you mentioned AI. Well, what, are, what are some of the more interesting revelations you've encountered in terms of you know, how people use Ford motor cars, how people, you know, think about driving and, and, and also driver behavior. I mean, are you collecting data on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So AI is a, is a very big part of you know, our future, both with the vehicle, but also, again, as I mentioned, some of the 
the touch points, but you know, we've got both in the vehicle where we're spending significant amount of effort looking at you know how we utilize um, artificial intelligence to to get vehicles that are a lot more autonomous. So we've made some pretty big investments into you know Argo AI as an example in the US, where we're really looking at how do we take it from where we are today, which is driver assisted mm. technologies to really help the driving experience through to you know a more autonomous experience where you're able to get you know, that, that, you know, assisted driving experience through autonomy all the way through sort of the entire process, whether it's kind of internally operations, um, how do we improve our, you know, streamline a lot of the things that we do internally, but also how do we get better at, you know, the touch points, whether it's, you know, the way in which you order vehicles, the way we get parts into the plant, all the way through that, I, I think there's, we see significant benefits for it. This, this fully autonomous vehicle idea I mean, I, I'm, I personally find it a bit terrifying. Now, someone like you, I mean, you're, you're, in a, you're in a very good position to answer this question. How long do you think it's going to be before we actually see fully autonomous vehicles on the road? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, I, I think, you know, at this stage, you know, we've, we've been doing a lot of work, but, but really we're, we're still quite a ways off, um, you know, being able to implement it commercially. Because yeah. when you think about um, all that is really involved in, you know, really getting to that that point where we can anticipate things that are going to happen and be able to make all the right judgment calls. Yeah, it really requires a lot of technology and a, and a lot of development. That's so right. it's not just, we kind it's of see it being No, that's exactly right. So you know, what you're likely to see is a staging in of more and more capabilities. So you're, you're already seeing, um, you know, again as I mentioned, the driver assisted technology. You're seeing things like co-pilot and, and those capabilities. And I think what we'll see is that level of um, capability being introduced over time. Yeah. And uh, eventually we will get to it. I, I think there's some commercial applications that you know, we're seeing in terms of being able to, um, to use it for transportation and things. But again, we're, we're not seeing that in the, the very short term. It's, it's going to be a longer term journey for us. Yeah. And it's not just about you know, the technology being there and, and getting it to a point, but it's also, like you said, you know, people being comfortable with it as well. Yeah. It's, I think, going to take time for people to get comfortable with, you know, some li- different levels of autonomy in terms of their driving experience. Sure. Well, interesting times ahead. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us on the show. We look forward to welcoming you back on again soon. Great. Thanks again, David. Cheers. Now, obviously, customer experience is a critical consideration in the travel industry. Now, the travel industry has been one of the those most impacted by COVID this year. Joining us now, on the, or rather coming back onto the CIO show, is Nikki Doble, Group CIO with travel insurer Covermore Group. Nikki, welcome back. Hi, David. How are you? Great, great. Now, talk me through what, what Covermore has been doing in terms of customer experience. I mean, obviously, you had... Uh, a lot of uh, plans last at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, which have now changed. But clearly, the travel customer has changed. But I understand also that that um, that a lot, a lot of customers are coming back. Yeah, we're starting uh, very excitingly to see uh, the green shoots that we've been wanting to see um, for the last few months. So we we expected um, markets to come back at different times. Mm. So we're starting to see some pickup in in US domestic, which is really good. New Zealand. Um, uh, is starting to to have a lot of activity over the, in Europe, so that's um, very exciting for us. And, yeah. and so the the prep that we've been doing to, 
to, um, you know, get ready because, you know, for a few months there was going, when travel comes back, when travel comes back, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's starting to happen. So that's really exciting. But from a, from a CX point of view, you know, it's, it's changed for us because, Indeed, yeah. well, people are going to travel differently. Like we're actually experienced, uh, expecting, and there was a study out actually, um, by a US group that, Travel insurance are expecting that to increase, uh, you know, when 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 um, post COVID, yeah. because people are kind of been reminded that um, they're not bulletproof or, or or infallible just because they're on on holidays. So sure. um, we we've had to rethink, um, you know, how people expect um, to be treated and what they expect that buying experience to be like from, from once they purchase the um, product and, until they return home. So we've been, you know, had to go back to the drawing board a lot. Now you had this um, this platform and development for some time called Mosaic. Talk to me about that. Mm. So Mosaic is an AI uh, piece of, of, of software, pricing software, and it replaces something we've already got in in market, which is Impulse, and, and it's with our partner website. So, uh, when you purchase a airline ticket or or, or through an airline or, or, or through lots of different companies, um, you'll be purchasing it through them. But but it's actually our software that sits within that website, mm-hmm. uh, and the policy comes through for us. So we um, get our system to give you an idea. Our our system can deal with um, almost like. 40,000, um, well, it's, it, that's before auto scaling kicks in, but about 40,000 requests for travel insurance per second. Yeah. Wow, that's so that's a yeah. huge, yeah, it's a huge volume. Yeah. Um, and, and with the pros that we've got there at the moment, so we would put offers out, and, and but it could only be an infinite number that could go through. So the system, you know, might have a few hundred different things that they might suggest to, to someone to get that purchase. Um, as they go through the buying product. So how we're using AI and the Mosaic pro, uh, product is that from those 47, you know, 40,000 seconds, uh, for, sorry, 40,000 requests per second, um, you know, it's going to start learning from that. So all of a sudden, instead of having particular constructs that we would have predetermined, it will actually learn what works better. So mm. um, even just increasing when you've got that sort of volume, even increasing that strike rate, a marginal percent yep. has a huge difference to, um, you know, our bottom line, and of course, you know, the partner's bottom line of, of who we've who who were embedded into their website. So, you know, it, it's good for us. And then at the same time, we're offering things to people that are actually personalised to them. So, you know, if you're on a business trip, you don't need ski cover. Yeah. You know, you you might want something entirely different. So that personalisation and that learnt personalisation is is really valuable um, for us. I guess one of the the struggles, of course, that we've got at the moment is that the volume is not there, uh, and you have to have a particular amount of statistical data to do that. So we've gone back through, and we're looking at um, you know historical transactional data and. Um, you know, our old data and, and going, what can we, we pull from there? Um, you know, the claims types, you know, there's certain travellers and certain journeys where we know that the claim rate is higher yeah. uh, and looking at that. But I think the big learning will come once the travellers are travelling again and we'll, we'll be able to compare what did it used to look like and what did we used to expect to, to what we're, what we're um, you know, what we'll see now with people wanting different um mm-hmm. You know, different coverage. 
Sure. Well, it was interesting when we, we spoke to Accenture um, earlier in the show about how organisations in, in their response to COVID, and particularly obviously for the purposes of our audience, technology leaders um, helping um, harness digital tools for um, the COVID response, that this in a way is giving um, impetus to you know, CX-driven technologies is that in, in accelerating their development. Is that what you're feeling as well or seeing it at Covermore? Yeah, look, we're, like I said, because the sentiment's changed so much, we need to know what, what they value now because I think what they valued before will change again. Sure. And also we're launching uh, a couple of new products, um, you know, with a, 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 a travel assistance app and for the, for the leisure travellers that, that tracks where they are through geolocation and, you know, we'll put a pop-up up if, if they're going into an area that might be unsafe for whatever reason, whether it's COVID or whatever, or, or if there's been an event, you know, we'll ring them to say, hey, we know that you're in that region, are you okay? So we know that the adoption of that is going to be much higher yeah. just because technology adoption in the last few months has skyrocketed so we're expecting that to skyrocket along with people wanting that coverage and that protection now so we're expecting a high adoption rate but like everyone's CX experience is going to to be different to what Mm. they want so you know the personas around that because you've got so many different types of travelers you know how do you pick those right personas and then the other thing that's um, kind of really pertinent to me at the moment is is the security around that Mm. because when you're traveling uh, a bit like you know you, you think you're perfectly fine on a on a jet ski even though you've never gone on a jet ski before you go on a jet ski because you're on holiday and of course nothing bad's ever going to happen it's yeah. a bit the same you know you you go <laughs> off and you use public wi-fi yeah. because i'm on holiday nothing's going to happen well you've yeah. probably got language barriers there as well and you you you, you don't know what you're connecting to and um and how do we how do we create uh, a secure customer journey is something that um, we're doing a lot of workshops on at the moment of how can we make it that it gives them the security that they need while they're traveling? Because we know that they're most likely going to take more risks when they're traveling. As a general yeah. rule, there'll be others that go the other way. Yeah. They go, actually, I'll take less risk. But, you know, again, different, different, um, different t- traveler types. Yeah. And how do you create that so it's not clunky? in that customer experience piece. And, and because at the same time, if you've got a clunky experience through that, it kind of erodes your brand trust. Sure, and when you're, you're, yeah, and when you're a company that goes, we're going to keep you safe and we're going to keep you happy um, and you're okay with us and that you go on the site and it looks really great and wonderful and then it makes you authenticate a million different times or you have to go onto a legacy system to do something of the functionality, all of a sudden you're losing that. There, so it's it's interesting how um, that CX experience builds trust, yeah. but also you can erode it so quickly by trying to keep your traveller safe. Yeah. So how do you find that balance? That that's something we're 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 working through at the moment. Sure. I mean, I, I wonder whether you agree with this. I mean, I, I I've been thinking that certainly when I the next time I'm tra- I'm travelling, I'll probably be more. And we can't wait for that, by the way. Yes, of course. <laughs> I hope you, you bought your ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yes, travel travel numbers have gone down. I, I read I read I read somewhere recently. I think I can't remember where. But when 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 things resume, I mean, presumably the yes. average traveller is going to be a lot more conscious of their insurance. Whether I mean, COVID is is you know obviously the the main 
will be the main impetus for this increased uh, concern or maybe even paranoia on the part of certain travellers. Um, is that something that you're sort of preparing for? The, you know, that, that sort of changed profile of the traveller, changed profile of the travel insurance customer? Yeah, that, look, it, it was always seen as a grudge purchase. You yeah. know, no one ever, when you're buying a holiday, That's you're, right. you're, yeah. you're thinking about the good stuff. Yeah. You don't really want to, you know, an insurance as a general rule tends to be a bit of a grudge purchase, but I think it's probably a little bit more yep. know, grudgier yeah, when, you, yeah. when you're talking about your holiday. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so I think that that will slip a little bit, mm. but, uh, but I think people's expectations about what, what will be provided to them, uh, I, I think there's probably some expectation setting that actually needs to happen because we know people don't, you know, people don't generally read their, their policy document when it comes. I mean, we get a copy of it, yeah. but it tends, you know, the industry as a whole gets a lot of criticism for making documents that are too long and too difficult to understand. So yeah. I think how we probably, again, it comes back to, to that, that customer journey, actually, and you've raised a little good point is that more people are going to be buying this. They're going to want coverage. Like, you know, they'll buy a, a COVID-covered, you know, yeah. a, a policy that has COVID cover in it, for example. Mm. Um, so, you know, rather than just kind of putting that into the PDS, we're going to have to find ways of setting those expectations up front so people know when they're buying mm. what they're actually getting. And, and I think that's a very good point, that when you've got more people buying that perhaps wouldn't have purchased it in the past, and their expectations have changed because they genuinely want it to protect them now, not as yeah. a, oh, if that happens, it's, no, 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 I, I want this coverage. They're actually going to um, read the policy. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, I still don't think they're going to read the policy. going to go that far. Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the onus is on us to make sure we've made it very clear about, actually, you've got this, but you don't have that, and you've got this, and you don't have that. And there's ways that we can build that into that customer journey to do that, but I think that's definitely going to be something that we have to think of um, as, as travel resumes and, and what people's expectations are. You know, like if we can't get them back into country because of cats or whatever, you know, that they, they still see that as our responsibility even though it's not. So we have to be careful about what we can say we can fix for them and what we can't fix for them. Mm -hmm. There's lots of things we can, um, but, yeah, those expectations are probably going to be quite, quite high and varied, especially as we start to come back. Sure. Well, I can appreciate that yourself and all your colleagues at, at, at Covermore are eagerly awaiting the return for, for travelling, arguably more so than most of us. So let's hope that happens soon. Nikki, uh, thanks so much for joining us and hope to have you back on again soon. No worries. Thanks, David. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. In the next episode of the CIO Show, we'll talk with CIOs and analysts about arguably their greatest bugbear over the past several years, shadow IT. Some are calling for it to now be named Business Managed IT in recognition of its potential to be a force for good. But there's no doubt it's still a major source of grief for those CIOs yet to figure out the right balance between freedom and control. We hope you can join us.